Now, there is no doubt that the early church were a group of people who prayed. It's the thing we see them do again and again throughout the early chapters of Acts, and indeed throughout the whole book, actually. In fact, Luke's most famous summary statement about the early church in chapter 2, verse 42, describes it as one of their absolute priorities. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So prayer was one of the four things the early church were devoted to. Now, when I read that, I want to ask Luke some questions. What did that look like to be devoted to prayer? I mean, that's pretty strong language, isn't it? To be devoted to something is to be dedicated, loyal, zealous about it. Our jubilee cultural theme of passion springs to mind. And it makes me ask, you know, is that how I describe prayer in my life? Now, I want to be authentic from the start You know, sometimes I pray lots. Sometimes I find it really hard to pray. But I have become increasingly convinced that the issue of prayer in my life is not about whether I know how to pray. It's about whether I want to. Sometimes it's a struggle, isn't it? Sometimes there are unanswered questions that we have to wrestle with. But I have seen time and time again that prayer works, that it is something precious we're called to do, and that it is worth it in the end. And that's what I want to explore today. So we're going to eavesdrop in on the early church as they pray together in Acts chapter 4. And my aim is that as we listen in, we'd be provoked that prayer is all about God's presence that prayer is powerful, and that prayer leads us to step out and change the world around us. And as we go along, I'd love also to share some stories about what some of us at Jubilee are learning together about prayer in this season in order to get us excited about what God is doing as we come to him intentionally with perseverance and passion. So let's turn to the passage in Acts chapter 4. Now, just before I read it, I was just thinking back to last week when Paul described how at the beginning of Acts 4, we have like this aftermath of Peter and John's encounter with the lame man at the gate beautiful, where they were just going about their ordinary life and God used them to bring healing to the man. They spoke to the people who had gathered and witnessed this miracle and told them about who Jesus was and what he'd done. And many believed. But not everybody believed. And the ruling authorities didn't like what they were doing or what they were saying at all. And they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. That's chapter 4, verse 2. 
Peter and John were therefore arrested and put in jail and warned not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And I love that they just take no notice of this whatsoever and they have this gutsy response in verse 19. They say, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they are released, basically because the chief priests and elders couldn't deny that a miracle had taken place. And they saw that all the people were praising God because of it. The first thing that Peter and John do in response to this opposition and persecution is to go back to the other believers, or as the ESV puts it, they went to their friends, and together they prayed. So let's listen in. I'm going to start reading from chapter 4, verse 23. On their release... Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I love this. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Wow. I want to be at that prayer meeting. After they prayed, interceding with such power, the room in which they were meeting was physically shaken. So as we read that, what are some of the things we notice about prayer in the early church? Well, the first thing that I spotted was the believers prayed together and it was loud. Verse 24, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. There are other times in Acts where we see the early church pray alone, probably quietly, like when Peter went up on the roof to pray in Acts 10 and God gave him the vision of a large sheet filled with all kinds of animals to show him that God's gift of salvation was not just for the Jews, but the Gentiles too. But in this example of prayer that we've just read in Acts 4, we see that the early church also prayed with raised voices together with others. 
Secondly, as they raise their voices together in prayer, we see that they start by lifting their eyes off their situation and declare the truth of who it is they're praying to. Verse 24, they say, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. They acknowledge God's supreme power and authority over all creation. And that's the truth that they stand on as they enter prayer together. Thirdly, they knew the reality of the spiritual battle they were in. They don't seem surprised by the opposition that Peter and John were experiencing from the authorities. And they remind themselves of the opposition Jesus suffered in the very city they are praying in now. Verse 27, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. The experience of the early church makes it clear that those who belong to Jesus are engaged in spiritual battle in which the purposes of God are constantly opposed. And in these moments, prayer was their weapon of defence as well as attack. And they launch into specific prayers for boldness to continue to speak the word of God and for miracles to break out off the back of the opposition that they have experienced. Verse 30, they say, Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And then what happens? Verse 31, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, every single one of them. And they left empowered to speak the word of God boldly. I wonder, what is our expectation when we come together to pray? We could spend all morning delving further into what prayer looks like in the early church. But I want us to zoom in briefly on three things I think God is particularly highlighting for us at the moment. The first is that prayer is all about God's presence. When Luke describes the early church as being devoted to prayer in Acts 2, I don't think he means they were devoted to a religious activity, but rather they were devoted to the pursuits of God himself. They were devoted to pursuing his presence. They were hungry for more of him. They were constantly seeking his face, desperate to see people and situations the way he sees them. And they knew that they were living utterly dependent on him. We see this in the passage we've just read. The early church knew that above everything else, they needed the presence of God to fill them again and again, to send them out in power to change the communities they were part of as they went about their ordinary life. They pray for boldness and that God would work more miracles 
as they continued proclaiming the gospel. And that's the moment the Holy Spirit comes and fills them in answer to their expectant, believing prayer. As Pam said, this term, Kate and I have had the privilege of leading one of the Jubilee Autumn Ministry Schools, and a whole bunch of us have been exploring together this distinctive of prayer. And we have come to see that, like the early church, the starting place for prayer must always be the pursuit of God's presence, to get full of his Holy Spirit. If we come to prayer out of a place of duty, because we think we should, then our prayer life becomes transactional, ineffective, and dare I say it, boring. The founder of the 24-7 prayer movement, Pete Gregg, writes, the most important discovery you will make is the love the Father has for you. Your power in prayer will flow from the certainty that the one who made you likes you. He is not scowling at you. He is on your side. All other teaching on prayer loses its meaning without the infilling presence of God the Father. He goes on, unless our mission and our acts of mercy, our intercession, petition, confession and spiritual warfare begin and end in the knowledge of the Father's love, we will act and pray out of desperation, determination and duty instead of revelation, expectation, and joy. So good. When we live out of this place of the expectation of God's presence, prayer becomes a continual conversation with our Heavenly Father. When problems come up, it means we'll pray in real time, right there and then. That's what happened when Peter and John walked in the door and recounted all the chief priests and elders had said to them. The group of believers didn't throw a pity party or go away thinking, oh, I'll add that to my prayer list. No, verse 24 says, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Now, if you know me well, you'll know that I love lists. I have them everywhere, in my work diary, on my phone, on post-its, in my head. So you won't find it surprising that I can often approach prayer in this way. As a young Christian, I had all sorts of pretty books that I would write my prayer lists in, and then with a different colour, I'd add the answers as I saw them happen. You can imagine it, can't you? (laughs) Now, I'm not knocking that. And actually, this practice has continued to help me to be diligent and proactive and broad in my prayer life. But what I have noticed is that the lists I write to help me to pray actually can end up making me feel guilty that I'm not praying enough. And this can be enough to stop me from praying altogether. Have you ever found that? 
It's like I forget that the focus of prayer should never be prayer itself, but the Father himself. This is what the early church seemed to understand. They didn't pray out of obligation or duty or even habit. They prayed because they knew that prayer connected them to their very life source. The one who made them, just as he made the heavens and the earth and the sea. The one who was on their side and whose presence they were constantly desperate for. During our first prayer school last half term, I remember Steve Hooper saying, we would never store up all the things we wanted to talk to friends or family about from our day. He said, if he just stored up everything he wanted to talk to his wife Lorraine about, and then came to her with his list, she wouldn't be very impressed. That's not relationship, or it's certainly not healthy communication. He talks to her in real time as things come up throughout the day. Now, this is so simple and obvious, but it made me think, why don't I approach talking to God like that? Since I've been intentional about coming to God in the morning to just seek his face and get full of the Holy Spirit, rather than just bringing him my list of worries for the day, I've been much more aware of the reality of his presence with me throughout the day and have found myself praying in real time and expecting to see God move. Recently, I've been praying for more opportunities to share my faith at work. And a couple of weeks ago, God answered this prayer in the most amazing way. I ended up having a real heart-to-heart with someone that resulted in me offering to pray for her which, to my amazement, she readily accepted, and I was able to pray for God's miraculous intervention in her life. With Paul Norris's teaching on discipleship ringing in my ears, I then told her a Bible story that was relevant to her situation. Now, what shocked me was how easy it was, how welcome it was, And how normal it felt. Instead of just talking to her about God, I talked to God with her. She got to hear what my relationship with God sounds like. How about that as a discipleship tool? People who don't want to be preached at almost always still want to be prayed for. Now, I really don't think I'd have thought about offering to pray for her or even would have been bold enough to do it had I not spent time getting full of God's presence before I set off for work that morning. I love what Paul said last week about how the Holy Spirit brings boldness so that when you get filled with him, you become and can do far more than you would ever do on your own. So true. Let me ask you, are you expectant for God's presence to come when you pray? For the Holy Spirit to come and fill you? 
Do you prioritise his presence above everything else? Our Father in heaven longs for us to seek out his presence without an agenda, not out of duty, not because we have a favour to ask him or because we want him to get us out of a sticky situation. He wants us to seek him out simply because we are happier in his presence than anywhere else. One thing I ask from the Lord, says the psalmist, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Before we move on, let's just take a moment to get full of his presence again. Just hold your hands out. Father, we love you. We love being with you. What a privilege that at any given moment, we can just come before you and enter your presence. Holy Spirit, would you come and fill us again now? Bring us a fresh revelation of what the Father thinks of us of what he's thinking about us right now in this moment. Father, we're sorry for when we've made prayer about something other than you. Your presence is our favourite place. We love you, Father. Just keep filling us. Holy Spirit, come. Thank you for your presence. Feel free to keep receiving from him as we carry on. So we've seen how as the early church prayed, they prioritised God's presence. And so the Holy Spirit came again and again to fill them. The second thing I think God is highlighting to us from the early church's experience of prayer is that prayer is powerful. We've seen how the early church knew the reality of the battle they were in. They're not surprised that opposition has come. In fact, they seem to expect it and consider it prophetically foretold as they quote David in Psalm 2. They say, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. They remember that Herod and Pilate met together with the people, both Jews and Gentiles, to conspire against Jesus. And they can identify with that. They feel like everyone is against them, as everyone had been against Jesus. C.S. Lewis writes, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. 
Indeed, the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, verse 12, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The opposition the early church experienced drove them to pray. They knew that prayer was a powerful defence against the powers of this dark earth, but that it was also their weapon of attack. To quote Pete Gregg again, people sometimes ask why God requires us to pray, as if it were merely a form of relentless begging, please, 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 in the tone of a child beseeching his father for a treat or a football fan wishing like mad for a goal in the final minute. But to pray is not to plead from the sidelines. It is to invade the field of play. This is one of the things that God has been speaking to us about as a prayer school. There are times when prayer looks less like quiet, contemplative reflection on scripture or the enjoyment of worship music, as valuable as these things can be, and more like a boxer in the ring. We're learning how to pray with a perseverance and a passion that changes the reality of the world around us. To come before God intentionally and expectantly in order to lay hold of his purposes with what could be described as a violent insistence. This is what we see the early church doing when they pray. They're loud, they make their requests forcefully, they declare scripture and prophetic words. In his book, The Soul of Prayer, P.T. Forsyth writes, lose the habit of wrestling and the hope of prevailing with God. Make it mere walking with God in friendly talk. And precious as that is, yet you tend to lose the reality of prayer. In a world where we want to see the lost saved, we want to see global evils such as human trafficking completely dismantled, where we want to see those that are held captive by all sorts of things receive healing and freedom. There must be times when we intercede with raised voices, with an indignance and insistence that breakthrough has to come. Jesus seems to describe a similar attitude in his parable of the persistent widow in Luke 18. He tells how in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And a widow in that town kept coming to him to ask for justice against her adversary. At first, the judge didn't grant her the justice she desired. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. (laughs) 
She knew what it was to be forceful. She was not just politely asking. And she received an answer to her prayers because she refused to accept no for an answer. Jesus knew how weary and confused and disappointed we'd get. That's why he told the parable of the persistent widow to his disciples in the first place. To show them that they should always pray and not give up. That's Luke 18 verse 1. I wonder, are there prayers that God is calling you to keep praying and not give up? Maybe you've been praying for someone you love to come to know Jesus. You've prayed in the past, but nothing seems to change. Or maybe there's some justice issues, like for the persistent widow, but you just don't know where to start. Or maybe there's an area in your life where you're crying out for breakthrough, but it's just not happened yet. Is the Father calling you today to revive these prayers again? To take hold of this gift of intercession and stand in the authority he has given you in Christ? To invade the field of play? You know, it takes courage to keep praying bold, outrageous prayers, even when the answers seem impossible. But I think it's so easy for us to forget or underestimate the authority we have as children of God, especially when we pray. In Matthew 28, when Jesus commissions his disciples before he was taken up into heaven, he sends them out with all authority in heaven and on earth. That's a lot of authority. God wants us to come to him as our loving father, remembering that we are not so much pleading with him or fighting against him, but standing with him against enemy powers. Our prayers can often be more powerful than we dare to imagine. So, We've seen how, as the early church prayed, they prioritised God's presence and they experienced the power of prayer as they responded to the spiritual battle that they were in. Finally for today, I want to finish by briefly looking at how prayer led them to action. I love that the passage concludes with an immediate answer to their prayers for boldness to speak the word of God. Verse 31, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. The early church found that prayer provoked them to move beyond their meetings to engage with those that hadn't yet met Jesus. 
They wanted to see the kingdom of God break out as they spoke God's word boldly and as God used them to heal and perform signs and wonders. It wasn't enough that God's presence would be contained in the place of prayer and worship. But they wanted the Spirit's power to send them out to radically transform both the spiritual and practical needs of the community around them. What about us, Jubilee? Paul challenged us last week. What are our expectations of the church? of us, the gathered family of believers. Is our expectation to see fast, constant and consistent growth of new believers amongst us? Or have we settled? It doesn't matter how many hours of intercession or worship we might clock up if we are inaccessible, unwelcoming and disengaged from the lost. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Not pray and wait for them to come to you. The early church was so brilliant at this. They prayed for boldness to share the word of God and for supernatural miracles to break out, and off they went, scattering the seed of the gospel at every opportunity as they went about their ordinary lives. At prayer school this week, we talked about how significant it can be to simply invite people into our homes, to develop authentic, genuine friendships with people, and then just see what the Holy Spirit does. Where do you see the Holy Spirit moving most obviously in your community? Is there someone in your workplace or your neighbourhood or at the school gate? Who is it God is highlighting to you? Where is he asking you to carry his presence out to? Let me conclude. The early church devoted themselves to prayer. They were devoted to pursuing God's presence. They knew that above everything, they needed the presence of God to fill them again and again and again. And in the face of opposition, the first thing they did was pray. They came before God to lay hold of his purposes and receive his power again, so that they could be sent out of the building to change the communities they were part of. Are we up for that, Jubilee? Is this the kind of experience of prayer we want to go after? Because that's the invitation today, to come and spend time in his presence, because you know that it really is the best place to be to stand in the authority he has given you as a child of God, to keep on praying and not give up, to allow his Holy Spirit to fill you with boldness, to be sent out and speak his word as you share your life with those around you.
if this is the experience of prayer you want to devote yourself to, can I invite you to stand? As I was preparing for today, I felt like it would just be good to take a moment now to rededicate ourselves. And actually, we're not rededicating ourselves to prayer. We're rededicating ourselves to the Father. So I'm going to pray for us, and then I just want to give you a moment to just say what you want to say to the Father, just in the quietness of your heart. So, Father, we just come before you again. We just say, you are amazing. We love you so much that the creator of the heavens and the earth and the sea would want to come and be with us, would want to hear what we want to say. Father, we just want to say we love you and we belong to you and we just rededicate all that we are to you again this morning. Every part of us, every part of our lives, it's all for you, Father. And we thank you that, Holy Spirit, you come and fill us as we come before you, as we seek your face in prayer, as we seek your presence. You come and fill us to overflow. And I pray, Lord, for for all of us, that you would take us on an adventure in this next season, an adventure of learning what it is to pray like the early church, to get full of you again and again, so that we have this continual conversation with you. And Lord, where there are things that you are calling us to pray and not give up, Father, would you give us courage? You know how disappointed we get, how hurt we get when we don't seem to see answers to our prayer. But Lord, don't let that stop us from keeping on. Help us to learn from the persistent widow to pray and pray and not give up and to stand in the authority, Jesus, that you have given us. Help us when we're weary Lift our head. Show us what you're doing. Help us to see situations as you see them. And Lord, I just pray for those situations that we're just thinking of now, those things that we're praying about, that we're in the middle of. I just declare breakthrough now in Jesus' name. Father, would you come and make change happen? Would you come and bring life and wholeness? Would you come and bring freedom in Jesus' name? And show us how you want to use us as an answer to our own prayers in these situations. Yeah, just in your heart now, just say whatever it is you want to say to the Father. Just respond to whatever it is Holy Spirit is speaking to you about right now.
Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Yeah, Father, we receive your Holy Spirit again. We receive your love, Father. We receive your affirmation. We receive your presence. And now would you send us out, just like the early church, to go and share our lives with those that you have put us in community with. Help us to be bold. Holy Spirit, we need you. We can't do it without you. Help us to be courageous. And I I just pray for many stories in the weeks to come of how, Holy Spirit, you have just led us into conversations and situations where we've seen the kingdom of God break out. We pray this for your glory, Lord Jesus. Amen.